Welcome to St Ninian's Online. My name is Stuart and I get to be the Minister here. This week here in Scotland, the First Minister announced that places of worship would be allowed to open under certain conditions. They would be allowed to reopen for communal worship. Those conditions at the moment are still very strict. Two metres social distancing means that around two-thirds of our normal Sunday morning congregation would be unable to attend. Those who are in the vulnerable categories who would have been shielding would also be unable to attend. Those who would come would probably need to wear masks and those greeting you and directing you where to go around a one-way system would also have to wear PPE. We would be required to take a note of your name and address and telephone number so that in the event that someone who had been at worship tested positive for coronavirus, the Test and Protect service would be able to contact you so that you could self-isolate for 14 days if necessary. We would have to operate, as I said, a strict one-way system. You would be allocated a seat and there would be no singing. And after each service, we would have to thoroughly clean the sanctuary. The same procedure would be true for funeral services and these would be limited to just 20 people. You may not then be surprised to know that given these restrictions, the Kirk Session has decided that for the moment, the church building will remain closed and it will continue to meet here online. At present, Scotland is making very good progress tracking the prevalence of coronavirus. If this progress continues, it's likely we will move to the next stage with a further relaxation in restrictions coming perhaps towards the beginning or middle of August. We'll keep you updated about any further changes. Until then, remember that you can watch these services on Facebook, on YouTube and at our website at st-ninians-stonehouse.org.uk. If you've got a smart TV, then you can watch us on Facebook Watch or on YouTube. And you can listen on the website, on the sermons page, or if you search for St Ninians online on Spotify or Apple or Google Podcasts. You can also listen on the phone for the price of a local call at 01698 If you would like a printed copy of the service, then just let me know. That's loads of ways to watch and listen. It reminds me a little bit of this week's story about a man who sows seeds. He throws them all over the place and some of them grow and some of them don't. But he throws his seed all over the place anyway. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be exploring a particular kind of story. They're called parables and many of them are very well known. They're stories that Jesus told about everyday things and experiences to help us to understand the idea of the kingdom of God better. Today we'll explore one of them and I'll try to explain a bit about how a parable works and what on earth we're supposed to do with them. So let's listen to that story now. Matthew chapter 13 Verses 1 to 17. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the lake. Such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there, while the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, Listen, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell on the path, and the birds came and ate them up. Other seeds fell on the rocky ground. There, they did not have much soil, and they sprang up quickly, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. 
Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell in good soil, and brought forth grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Let anyone with ears listen. Then the disciples came and asked him, Why do you speak to them in parables? He answered, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance, but from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. The reason I speak to them in parables is that seeing they do not perceive, and hearing they do not listen, nor do they understand. With them indeed is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah that says, You will indeed listen but never understand, and you will indeed look but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and their ears are hard of hearing, and they have shut their eyes, so that they might not look with their eyes and listen with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes for they see, and your ears for they hear. Truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Some Bibles insist on putting headings in, and I really wish they wouldn't. They're mostly there just to help you find your way around, to find the right bit, to find the part you're looking for, and that can be tough even with the headings. But they aren't part of the text. The writers of these accounts of the life of Jesus and the rest of the Bible didn't use them. And there's a very good reason for that. The headings tell you what the passage is about but only one person's opinion of what they're about. Today's passage from Matthew's story of Jesus has the title, The Parable of the Sower. So what's the problem? It's pretty obviously a parable about someone who is sowing some seed. They spread the seed around, so obviously the parable's about them, right? And that's what headings do. They close things down instead of opening them up. Headings are statements about what is. But this isn't a statement. It's a parable. And parables are very particular kinds of stories. And they're all about opening up our thinking, about using our imagination, our creativity, our inquisitive nature. The word parable means to cast alongside. That just means comparing two things, putting two things next to one another to help us to understand something better. But why would you want to do that? Well, it's really so that we can ask questions, to compare and contrast, so that we can learn something of the nature of the kingdom of God. Jesus does it all the time, casting stories alongside something. He looks around and he says, what could we compare the kingdom of God to? Because it's a really difficult idea to get your head around and people didn't understand. So as we'll see in the coming weeks, Jesus compares the kingdom of God to lots of unexpected things to try to help us to understand. Today, it's this story of someone who sows some seed. And some of the seed falls on the path, some on rocky ground, some among the weeds and some on the good ground. And different things happen depending on where the seed lands. 
The stuff on the path gets eaten by the birds. The stuff in the rocky ground grows quickly, but it doesn't have deep roots, so when the sun comes up, it withers. The stuff and the weeds gets choked by the thorns, and the seed that falls on the good ground grows and gives a good harvest. And so that's all quite obvious, isn't it? And it's really helpful because Jesus explains the parable, and he doesn't do that very often. When someone hears the word of the kingdom and doesn't understand it, then the evil one comes and snatches away what's sown in their heart. This is what was sown on the path. Someone hears the news of the kingdom and doesn't take it in and it remains on the surface, the evil one comes and plucks it right out of the person's heart, just like the seed that's on the path. The seed that's cast in the gravel in the, in the rocky ground is the person who hears and instantly responds all enthusiastic, but there's no soil of character. And so when the emotion wears off and some difficulty arrives, then, well, there's nothing to show for it. The seed cast in the weeds is the person who hears the kingdom news, but the weeds of worry and all those illusions about getting more and wanting everything under the sun, they, they strangle what's in someone's heart and nothing comes of it. And the seed cast on the good earth is the person who hears the good news and takes it in and then produces a harvest, which would be beyond their wildest dreams. So great. That's us done then. Well, not quite. It never is really. I still have questions and I hope that you do too because that's what parables are for. Here's one. Why isn't the farmer more careful with his seed? Why does it end up on the path and in the rocks and in the weeds? We could be the sower, throwing the good news of God around, telling people all about Jesus. And if that is us, then this story has something to say about how that should work and what the results might be. We should be generous in our sowing, making sure that even the most unlikely areas get some seed. But isn't that a waste? After all, we have limited resources. How will we ever know what has grown? And what does that tell us about God? That God is generous. That God is prepared to take a chance, even if the circumstances aren't great. Perhaps it tells us that some parts of the process aren't actually up to us. And why isn't it the parable of the soil? Well, only because the person who writes the headings decided. It's the state of the soil that makes all the difference, isn't it? Why doesn't the guy with the seed prepare the ground better? Why are there still rocks and weeds? What's he doing over by the path? One of the things I love about parables is that you get to ask what if and see what happens. You can move around within the story. What if I was this part of the story or this character? What if I was a different one? Doing that opens up the story even more. It gives us lots of new perspectives. So you could ask things like, who am I in this story? Perhaps I'm the sower, casting seed around hoping that some falls in the right place. But perhaps I'm the ground, waiting for something to nurture and grow and wondering what fruit it might bear. I could also be the rocks, or the path, 
getting in the way of anything trying to grow hard and unyielding. Or maybe I'm the thorns, taking over, crowding out the young new plants, making sure that nothing new or anything different establishes itself. Each point of view gives us a different set of questions and a different set of insights into ourselves and into God. Moving around the story shows us that things don't stay the same way, that we're different at different points of our lives. So in the story, the land doesn't have to stay the same. We could remove the rocks. We could pull out the weeds. The good ground, as any gardener will know, isn't good by magic. You have to work hard to make it good ground. You have to dig and weed and take out all the stones. You have to add fertiliser to the soil to make it rich with plenty of food for the, the, the flowers and the crops. You might even have to cover the seed or build a scarecrow to keep the birds away. Also, the seed has the best chance of growing. So what does that look like in our lives? What would we have to do to become better ground? And realise that that's an ongoing process. It doesn't happen just once. You have to keep gardening. Jesus tells this story right after his mother and brothers have shown up, trying to get a message to him. He says this strange thing about obedience being thicker than blood. Those that do God's work are his mother and sisters and brother. Maybe they were just trying to tell him to come home. He's the firstborn son. Jesus had some big responsibilities. He should have been at home, working, looking after his family. But here he is, doing a new thing, breaking the mould, stepping out of what people think he should be doing. I complained earlier about the headings. I complained because I think they make us lazy. They stop us from doing the thinking, from asking those hard questions. They stop us from ever discovering anything new. I ran a workshop once about one of these parables where we pretended to be all the different characters in the story and we had conversations and dug around and explored how they might have felt and what all of that might have meant. It threw up loads of questions. But at the end, a young woman came up to me and said, that was great, but what does the parable mean? She wanted the heading. She wanted the one right answer and she left disappointed. Jesus could have given us the headings, but he didn't. He hardly ever does. He answers questions with more questions. He tells us stories rather than giving us facts. But why? Because exploring and asking and interrogating and imagining are the only ways that we will ever become part of the story. It's only when we ask our questions that we open the story up, that we start to discover more and more about what Jesus is trying to tell us. But what about the seed? We haven't mentioned it at all yet. Well, in some ways, that one's easy in this parable. It's the word of God, the good news. The good news that God loves us, cast around everywhere for anyone trying its best to grow even in the toughest of conditions. In the middle of this passage, Jesus says that we need ears to hear and eyes to see and that some people just won't get it. But to get it, you have to be willing 
to get involved, to wrestle with the questions and the stories and to ask, what if and how come? And we have to do some gardening in our own lives, to clear out our rocks and our weeds, to prepare the soil of our own heart, and then do our best to nurture the seed as it grows and bears a harvest. And then sometimes we might step into a new role and become the sower, planting that seed in others, the one that's grown in us. Whatever stage you're at, wherever you are in the story, wrestle, ask, question, because it's in those that the growth comes. That's what parables are all about. And Jesus tells us when we have eyes to see and ears to hear, we'll bear harvest more than we could ever dream of. wanting grace and profligate love, we give you thanks for all the good gifts that you have shared upon us, in creation and in each other, and especially in Jesus, whose stories help us to see the world differently, whose life was the living embodiment of your love, whose death was a seed which is bearing harvest still. We pray for farmers who work night and day to bring produce from the land, and those poor lands 
who struggle to survive. Those in rich places who feel isolated and lonely and whose future is also insecure. God who scatters love as generously on the world as the farmer scattered seed on the land. We give you thanks for all that has enabled us to grow and thrive if we're fortunate in body, mind and soul. We pray for children who do not have the nurture they need in early years and for parents who cannot provide what they did not know. God of love, make up for every deficit of love we pray and enable us to be co-workers in this field. In an age when not just seeds are broadcast but images and sounds and news and opinions, helpful information and cruel lies, we give thanks for all the good and vital connections that social media has made possible and pray for those who have been harmed by something with so much potential for good. We pray for young people, concerned already about the future of the planet, who must now be wondering even more what sort of life lies ahead for them and their children. And we pray for older people, forced to question all that they thought was secure, May we find our security and hope in you, whose love is in all and for all, and available always in plentiful supply. Hear us as we join in your words saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now may the blessing of God Almighty, creator, source and sustainer, be with you all now and forevermore. Amen. The book group is currently reading Where the Crawdads Sing by Delia Owens and meets on Sunday the 19th of July at 7.30. The book group meets on Zoom. You can find out more about the details if you go to their Facebook page, Stonehouse Book Group, and find out all the information that you need there. We'd love you to join us. Morning Prayers is taking a break for the summer. We'll be back on the 11th of August, which is the day the schools go back. We'd love you to join us, um, so look out for more information towards the date we resume. Sadly, like many other churches, St Ennian's building remains closed. However, that doesn't mean that the church is closed. It means that the church is busy online and in other ways. 
We've created a prayer garden so that you can come and be in the church grounds and think and contemplate and enjoy the lovely space next to our church. There are signs to help you and as you walk around the garden we'd encourage you to take a few minutes to think about the world today, to think about you and your friends, to think about those dear to you, all the troubles that we have but also all of the blessings that each of us share. And as you come to the end of your time we'd invite you to take a ribbon and tie it to the gate in memory or in prayer for someone that you miss or feel close to or just want to say thanks to. We hope you enjoy the space and continue to join us online for worship on Sunday or throughout the week at saint-ninians-stonehouse.org.uk. You're always welcome.